You're listening to audio from Noest Anglican. If you'd like to find out more about us, visit noest.org. Hello, Norwest, and welcome to another week of the Going Deeper podcast. Tim here hosting, here with Paul, who's been preaching through Isaiah 4 today. Hey, Paul. Hey, Tim. Good to see you. This is getting a bit regular, you and I, three times in a row. I know. James is back next week. Okay. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> no, I feel like we own this podcast now, oh, Paul. Yeah. I feel like it's our thing. We're all over it. <laughs> Uh, thank you for serving us so well, brother, and for opening up Isaiah 40. What a wonderful passage, just reflecting on God's character. And uh, I know there's been a couple of times where I've preached on Isaiah 40 in a youth context and just thinking about just the bigness of God. Yeah. And there's actually real comfort in there for us. So uh, thank you, mate, for, um, yeah, for opening up. Uh, this for us. Uh, we've got a, a number of questions. So questions and comments throughout the day has been uh, interesting and, and stimulating. Um, and uh, I wonder, Paul, maybe just let's start off. Um, as you have been processing these things and you've been pre- preparing this, what, uh, what's been helpful for you uh, in, in Isaiah 40 this week? What's, uh, what's, been, what's God been doing with your heart uh, in prep for the sermon? Yeah, thanks for the question, Tim. Um, He's been doing a lot. I've been because reflecting on uh, verses twelve to twenty six, where we see God as Creator and those kinds of things. Just um, being able to put it in those sayings that we've talked about this week, I found really helpful. Um, even though they're they're small and they're pithy, they're, they're they uh, lead me to an assurance. Uh, and I think this this kind of came out of your talk last week, and I just wanted to take it a bit further because uh, I, I kind of felt like one of the things that Christians find difficult is their assurance. Is God real? Can I trust him? All those sorts of things. And here's God saying, look what I've done. And so that's really come out to me. Mm. And then we, we may talk about it a little bit more, but verse 31, um, just trying to pick up the imagery of the poetry that Isaiah is using here. What is Why is he telling me to soar, to run, to walk? Is this a self-improvement verse? <laughs> Or is there something else happening there? And so that's been a real joy just to think that through this week as well. Great. Well, let's let's go to verse 31 uh, because – so this is um, something that you shared in questions and comments at 4.30. Uh, so we see in those verse, but those who hope in the Lord – and as you said, this is just such a familiar verse to so many of us. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, I remember a time when I was in uh, living in the UK and there was a friend of mine who ha- was um, – living out the very worst coffee cup uh, interpretation of this verse ever, right? He was a basketball player uh, and, and he thought that this verse was a promise that to help him on the basketball court because he was going to soar on wings like eagles, like he was going to be able to get closer to the hoop and he was going to run and not grow weary. This is going to help his fitness on the court. Uh, he won't get faint uh, as he walks. Um, he's since grown a little bit in his ability to exegete the passage and, uh, and handle God's word. Uh, but... But what is this talking about, Paul? Because we are familiar with these words, many of us will be, yeah. uh, when it tells, it tells us uh, that we're, promises us that we're going to soar, run, walk. What, what's this a picture of for the original hearers? Yeah, I, I think we can land in places like your friend if we don't think about the first part of the verse as well, can't we? Yeah. Um, because we like to think there's, there's something, a breath of fresh air about soaring and running without getting weary and walking without fainting, something beautiful about that. Um, but, but with the, the ver- first part of the verse, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, what that means is that they will soar on wings. And I think this is what I, what I tried to uh, bring out today was the poetry of this is, is movement language. Where are we going? We're walking somewhere. And particularly in a Hebrew context, when you think about walking, they're talking about how I do life. 
and and for our uh, for the people in the at the time of Isaiah, they soaring and running, walking was not on their agenda. They thought they were in deep trouble, but God is saying, actually, the promise is, I'm going to take you somewhere else. And the rest of the chapters of uh, from chapter 40 to 66 of Isaiah is doing just that. Because as we get towards the end, we get to see this perfect world that God is going to. Create, recreate or restore um, and, and he's perfecting people to reach that and that's part of the walk. It's not just that you walk along and nothing happens. It's actually God working in you to prepare you for the perfect place that's coming and I think that's what the poetry is doing. It's presenting yeah. that imagery for us but it's in the context of hope. Yeah. 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 So our walking is not really mainly about us but it's about what God is doing in us in and us. through us as we walk. Yeah. Uh, because we hope in the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and so you uh, really helpfully, God assures his people um, and you, you spelled that out for us with those six different ways that that happens and then we're carried, right, which is the wonderful. Um, you remember the, the two points, mate. Uh, the, the two points. <laughs> but I just, that that's the shape of the gospel, isn't it? That yeah. here's God's character on display, so therefore here's that, what he does because he can't be anything other than his character. So he assures his people through the way that he is and then there's a wonderful um like the, the nature of the gospel is, that, is what happens to us mm. rather than what we do. And so we're carried. Yeah, we that's, are. That's what it is to be a Christian. Yeah. We're carried. That's a beautiful picture that you, you left with us. Uh, and so as we uh, get into that, you, you, uh, you helped us to see that uh, so this question, to fear or not to fear, and we, we landed with, well, we don't fear uh, for we have hope in who God is. And that prompted a question uh, this morning, uh, what is the right place of fear? Now, sometimes the Bible will talk about fearing God as a, as a helpful thing. And that, that's not quite what this passage is talking about. Uh, and so it was um, 41, 10. chapter 41, verse 10. Uh, so do not fear, and that's current circumstance, yeah. right? The command to Israel, do yes. not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. And the question came up, well, given the fact that we are, you know, finite creatures and we live in the context where sometimes there are really scary things and a real sense of foreboding and that's what Israel was in. Like what? When's it appropriate to fear things in this world or what is this passage pointing us to or encouraging us to do in the midst of great uncertainty and peril and evil and all these things? Yeah, it's really hard to figure out, isn't it? And it affects all of us. And I think one of the things is that fear is not an end point. And it can be that. And if fear becomes that endpoint, then what we'll do is we'll look for other ways to try and alleviate the fear. And I think what God is saying, yeah, the fear is there, but actually if you hope in me, you can. I will walk through the fear with you. Mm. Rather than it being an endpoint, it becomes a um, – it, it should direct us to God rather than to look for something else. And, and even in the passage uh, in verses 18 to 20, you know, they would build idols – uh, and, and Israel were doing that. They were looking to the other nations and the idols of the other nations because they feared what was going to happen. They feared Assyria coming, so they asked other nations to help them rather than turning to God, and that's what their fear did. Yeah. And so fear is, should never be an end point because I think fear is real and we need to recognise that it's real. But what does it do? What, what do we do with it? Do we say to God, please help me through this and walk yeah. with me through it? Yeah. I, I wonder if... Uh, this is helpful. This is a helpful conversation because I mm. wonder if there's a sense in which fear as an emotion is, uh, you know, val- like valid. Like God gives us emotions as a gift, right? They help us express ourselves and understand ourselves. And and emotions as instinctive responses to the things that come across our way in life are generally not considered 
uh, as sinful. So we have, mm. you know, the New Testament says, like, you know, in your anger, do not sin. Yeah. Right? So anger is this sort of initial emotional response, but it's saying don't let that carry into exactly. sinful behaviour. And I wonder if there's a sinful thing here that where, where God says do not fear, he's not rebuking people who have a fearful emotional response, but he's saying in your fear, do not sin. Yeah. Like don't stay there. Like walk with me. Yeah. Yeah, to have that, that language from the yeah. end of chapter 40 saying, let's walk through this together. Yeah. You don't have to, yeah, that, that language of fear not being an end point I think is really helpful. Mm. It says we're going to be fearful. We're going to be afraid. We're going to feel all these things, mm. but it's okay. You know, keep walking with God because yeah. where else can you turn yeah. when everything is... Um, yeah, that's a really helpful summary. Yeah, yeah. And I, but even with my own children, right, I fear that they will get hurt, so I tell them not to touch the hot plate. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not the, so fear has led me to something that actually is helpful. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's the same with God. Don't, don't fear these other people. Yeah. You know, I've got this. And I think it, Jesus even says, um, you you shouldn't fear the one that can't take your soul. Mm. Right. Uh, because. The one that you should fear is the one who can take your soul. Mm. That, that's the important thing and, and that's why fear is not the end point. Yeah. yeah, that's really helpful. That's great. Well, I mean, we're dealing with big stuff here, right? Like, we as, are. And, and, and one of the things that's been interesting through questions and comments today has been that a lot of the questions have um, been asked out of the context of all the stuff that's going on in the Middle East. And, and even in Ukraine. And, and the Ukraine as well. Yeah. Uh, and... I have been interested by that watching on because I completely understand it because that's probably where my mind first goes to when it comes to what would be a question that I would ask. But it's interesting because it's not like 24-7 throughout the last week we've been thinking about these things or mm. talking about it. Then, yeah, we, We've seen the odd news article or the, um, yeah, the t- on the TV, the 6 o'clock news or whatever where we've seen updates about it, um, maybe the odd conversation with a co-worker. But it hasn't been a constant thing. There's been all the, the normal aspects of life. But I think there's something about when we come to church, when we're wrestling with who God is, we go, well, maybe this is the place where we can get some answers to all the big stuff that's going on. And I don't need a God or a worldview with God to help me work out you know, which brand of milk to buy. But I do need God to help me work out how do I process the stuff that's going on in the Middle East. Mm. I wonder, Paul, just your reflections on that. For us as as people, what does that what does that reveal about ourselves, or what does that suggest about us as uh, as people, whether we're Christians or not, that we have this expectation that well, somewhere like church should have answers to the big questions. Mm. Yeah, you'd like to think it would, wouldn't you? Yeah. I- I hope I'm answering the question or trying to answer it the way, uh, in, in the right way. But but church is one of those things that God has actually created and put together. The, the church is us together, Is we are the object of God's love. And so what the church should be, it should be an answer in itself in terms of, well, look what God is doing. Even in the midst of what's happening in the world, God is still creating a people for himself that can't be stopped. Mm. Uh, so church in itself should have that. But the other thing is about church, you may not get the answers, but you'll get people who think the same. And we're all here, maybe not understanding, hurting, fearing, all those kinds of things, but the common factor is that we are the object of God's love and we've come together to understand that and express it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we think some things are similar about the, uh, yeah, what we're seeing overseas as well, right? Like um, we feel like this is wrong. We whatever's, do. Whatever's happening and there's all the, you know, who knows what <laughs> yeah, is really going on in the hearts and minds of people and the different sides and all that. But we, but we can look at this and go, this is wrong. And that's not something that you get from a materialistic worldview. Yeah, that's you right. know, there's something morally wrong yeah. going on on either side. Yeah. And I feel like that's an interesting little exposure for us to say there's, there's something bigger than what we can touch and feel. Yeah. I think you make a great point, mate. Because when, if you, because I think that something is wrong, I, I, my my friends who are not Christian think that something is wrong. Mm. But where are they getting that from? Like, what what draws you to the conclusion that this is, in your eyes, not moral? What why, what's leading you to think it's in, injustice and and those kinds of things? And to me, that's a touch point to say, well, actually, I agree with you, except I have somewhere where I can turn for an answer for it. Um, it may not be something I like, but it's an answer. And the interesting thing is that we're both thinking on that same level. Uh, and I think C.S. Lewis kind of touches this on this in Mere Christianity when he's talking about his own experience of uh, conversion even, where he talks about the fact that he thought there was justice in the world, but what led him to think that there was justice in the world? There must be something bigger. Mm. And so that's the, that's the touch point, right, that we can say there is something wrong here. We both agree with it. So what is our next question going to be? Yeah. And maybe that's where we can introduce next questions. Which is a great segue because there was another question that came up today which was uh, how do we start conversations about God given the current circumstances? And, and I think what you've just done there is a great model for us of saying when people are voicing their, um, their distress or their lack of understanding or whatever it is about, it doesn't have to be the stuff in the Middle East, could be mm. the Ukraine as you mentioned or just generally like horrendous things that happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's something helpful about a response that says you're right to feel that way. Mm. Why do you feel that way? Yeah. Why do you value order? Why is war wrong? Why is the uh, why is the distress of other people a bad thing? Mm. Because as you've just, you know, if you, if you interrogate the different, you know, views on the world that's on display there, someone who is only or who says they think that, yeah, life is what I can touch and feel and that's it, mm. they don't really have a coherent answer to that. No. Um, and so I think that's yeah, a really, really helpful reflection. Mm. Um, you might not, but do you have friends or, or acquaintances that you've, you've got into those sort of conversations with um, before or...? Yeah, many I know, times. I know you chat to your barber and you chat to other people <laughs> about the gospel, and yeah. <laughs> I do. I, I have, and and I think one of the ones that one of the things that I find is often uh, a common ground is justice, because we all we all want justice, and um, and when something goes wrong or is done to us, we want justice done. Right? Often, uh, one of the problems that we have is that when we have to be the brunt of the justice because we've done wrong, we don't like that so much. And I, and I think this really came out with the whole Abdullah thing when um, they, they lost their children and they forgave. And, and so forgiveness almost became immoral at that point. 
you know. But so we have to think about, well, where does forgiveness fit in with justice and how do those things work together? And it's worth thinking about because it's something we all want and I think it's what God wants. But God works on a plane of, yes, I want justice, but also I can offer mercy. No one else can offer you that. God is the only one who can do that and has done both things. And that's the power of the cross. They collide. Because there's something a little bit scandalous about forgiveness that's uh, cheap, you know, yes. and not certainly not suggesting that the case you mentioned or referenced was, mm. but we sort of feel like it's there's something inappropriate about the the forgiveness that is too easy. Yeah. You know, you almost wonder have, they, have those people properly processed what yeah. has happened to them and how they've been afflicted? Those sort of questions, uh, and that's the wonder of the cross that this is not a a cheap forgiveness. It's not. It's the the costliest forgiveness that the world has ever known, but it's free to us. It is. And, and I think that's the beauty of it, maybe even with the Abdullah situation, is that they could forgive not on the basis of just letting something going but on the basis of the fact that they've been forgiven mm. and they knew it. Mm. And because I'm forgiven, because of the costliness of God's forgiveness for me, I can forgive others. Mm. Right? That's what the Lord's Prayer is talking about. Mm. So... So there's a, when there's a basis for forgiveness, and that is in the cross, then it has more merit. It, it's not immoral at that point because God's dealt with all the immorality. Yeah, mm. yeah. Wonderful hope that comes uh, that comes through this, the gospel and oh, yeah. the uh, the joy that there is for uh, for us in that and for people throughout all ages. Uh, a final question for us, Paul, and this is uh, a question that came up at uh, both of our morning services, but this. What can we do to help us feel the things about God? So we have some knowledge from Isaiah 40 and from other chapters in Isaiah as to who God is, and that can stay there as a correct understanding that would help us pass a theological exam or something. <laughs> but that's not the purpose of this. Like we, want to, we want this to have a grip over ourselves, right, mm. that can have such a grip on us that it, it determines how we uh, live and move and have our being. Uh, so how do we how do we help that transition from, from head to heart that, that we can feel and deeply know the things about God um, rather than it just being an understanding? Yeah. I think it's a, uh, I find this a hard question to answer because I think feelings matter and I think feelings matter to God, but also what we know is important. And I don't want us to think that the knowledge we have of God is cold. Mm. Right? It's got to it's got to mean something. But the thing about head and heart is it's mutual. Right? We think it flows one way, but I don't think that's true. I think if you know we have knowledge of something and it moves into our heart, and we have these affections for Jesus. That in, that speaks back to my head to say I want to know more of you. Mm. You know, so I think it's a mutual thing. It, it, it operates both ways. Um, and and we and I think you know we want to see our affections for Christ increased. But when I feel things going wayward in my heart, when I think I'm making bad decisions, that's when I can turn to what I know and say, is that really what I know about God? Because that's the problem in the garden, right? It's not that Satan comes after Eve with a big stick. He comes after her with an idea. That's the head or into our hearts. And so we need to say, well, actually, that's not what I know about God. What I know about God is this and it increases my affections for him. And I think that's how the two things kind of work together. And as Anne even said this morning, you know, we need to come to him, you know, because our affections are for him. Yeah. 
And so figuring those things out is really important. And I think the scriptures talk about those things regularly. In Romans, uh, Paul talks about the head and the heart. In Philippians, he says that you that your heart and mind might be guarded so that you'll know the peace of God. So in this time while we wait for the return of Christ, the transformation of our head and our heart is really important. It's not one or the other. It's both and they mutually affect each other. Yeah, yeah. I've really appreciated, Paul, the way that you've um – helped us see the poetic aspects of Isaiah last week in your service leading and this week in, in your sermon. And I think there's something in there for us about um, moving things to the, to the heart. Yeah. Um, like I wonder if, uh, if, those, if there are people listening to this going, like, I, I just want to do this, I want to see it, you grip my heart more, have a crack at writing a poem. <laughs> That's a great idea. And I reckon if we did that, like a, if you wrote a, a poetic prayer that you tried to encapsulate the gospel. I, I can't see how that wouldn't be a beneficial thing to try. Yeah, I, I agree. And how the gospel affects you yeah. has affected you. Yeah, yeah. And then let Jace Jessup know that you've done it so he can write a song. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Let us know. Send yeah. them in. <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks so much for listening to uh, this episode of the podcast. We do hope that it's an encouragement to you and helps you to go deeper into God's word as we talk with the preachers each week. Uh, make sure you do like and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice so that you get updated every time there is new content released uh, by us at Norwest. And until next time, uh, have a good week and we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. See ya. Thank you for listening. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to connect with us at norwest.org.